and welcome to Altamar. I'm Mooney Jensen. And I'm Peter Schechter, here to navigate the rough seas of global politics as we do twice a month, every month. In this turbulent world and its constantly shifting balances of power, it's really hard to understand which countries are performing well and which aren't. And why is that? We see places with crazy politics and weak institutions, but actually their currencies are strong and there's some GDP growth. And we see other countries that look and sound very serious, but when you actually look at the numbers, they're struggling. So today we're going to explore how in this tough moment for the global economy, how some unlikely stars are emerging and why others that we thought were resilient are actually underperforming. Leading the list of surprises, the economist named Greece the, quote, 2022 economic winner. We'll be joined later by Callum Williams from The Economist, the person who actually did the research and wrote that list. Peter, you remember when it was easy to rank countries. We had the World Bank doing business ranking. We had tidy lists made up of economic indicators like GDP per capita, stock market performance, and poverty indices for the economic side. And on the political, there was a lot of clarity about countries that were democratic and others that were clearly non-democratic. So it's no longer that simple. There's been many factors, COVID, lockdown, inflation, skyrocketing prices, staggering inequality that really complicate the equation. It can't just become black and white. And as the world retreats from democracy, it also becomes difficult to rank. The borders of what we call democracy have changed, and absolutely not in a good way. And in current rankings, there's some questionable results. In last year's ranking by The Economist, which we'll talk about later, Turkey, on the verge of dictatorship, or actually past the verge, depending on who you're talking to, with sky-high inflation, is doing well above the U.S. Colombia, now in a very tricky government, ranked higher than Denmark. I really can't believe that. And Greece was the number one economically successful country in the world. Okay, so let's look at what's behind the story of Greece, one of the world's oldest, most beautiful, and most complicated countries. Muni, there's a really interesting story here because Greece was just decades ago, Europe's basket case. I mean, do you remember the headlines? I mean, it was, it was I remember like there was a debate where the Germany was going to uh, veto any help to, to, to Greece. Anyway, it ended up being rescued by the EU. But now today, top Greek officials are embarking on peace missions. They're getting on planes to North Africa and to Israel. They travel to Jordan and Egypt to create better relationships with their neighbors on the east side of the Mediterranean. Conflicts with Turkey, that'll never end. It's going to continue. But Greek leaders have concluded that Erdogan is losing ground and Greeks are reaching out to the U.S. on defense issues. There's new military to military ties showing an interest in growing influence around the world. And on the economic front, tourism has made a comeback after COVID. GDP growth reached 7.8%, almost erasing the austerity after its economic disaster in 2009. The government of Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis is reporting a budget surplus, GDP growing, inflation down, and importantly, the Greek parliament passed the first budget in 13 years that isn't supervised by the country's creditors. Sure. 
the precariousness of the world economy. This good news story may not last, although there are multiple bailouts after the crisis have led to economic reforms, but the country is still vulnerable, just like the rest of Europe is, is vulnerable. Rents are skyrocketing. The Eurozone in general is in a weakened state. But look, Greece continues to be a notable performer, and we need to ask the economists why of all the countries in the world, why did they pick Greece? But before we get into that, with our guest, let's hear from Taya. Hi, I'm Taya Ivanovich, and this is Taya's Take, where we take a look at youth and social justice issues. And today, I want to take a look at not one, but two other interesting lists that Greece has done well on in 2022, which is pleasantly surprising as a former uh, resident of Greece myself. So we started this podcast by talking about how these lists of democracies, autocracies, and economic performers are much more difficult these days. And they are, but they remain a really important recognition for countries, especially those with needs from the global community, whether it's foreign direct investment or tourism. And Greece really needs both. So what list did Greece do well on? It's actually two other economists lists. It's the Democracy Index and the ESG Index. And the Democracy Index remains a really important measure of how a country is doing, and it's also a source of pride, especially for a country that considers itself the birthplace of democracy. And I lived in Athens, and I can tell you that this notion is real by everyday people, and I totally understand. So much of its tourist attractions are centered around Greece's incredible history as an important empire and bedrock of philosophy and science. So back to our index. In 2022, Greece improved by nine places on the Democracy Index, recording a clear improvement and one of the best performances of Economist Index. So the Economist Intelligence Unit has an ESG rating, which assesses how governments, businesses, and society impact a country's sustainability. So there are only five countries rated A for environment, and Greece is one of them. And Athens also soared, this is a third list, uh, Athens also soared 19 places up in the best cities to live in. So here's my take. Lots to be proud of for this very prideful nation as the birthplace of democracy. Greece has had a very long and difficult economic road for the past 10 years. And while, of course, it's many deep-rooted economic problems and, you know, it's aging demographics, it won't be solved by being on a few of these lists, but being included positively is a huge step forward towards clearing its name as a responsible government, an attractive investment, and a tourist destination. So I'm very curious what you think. And of course, I invite all my Greek friends to tweet at Altamar Podcast for a fun discussion. Thanks, Taya. That's a lot to think about. So let's bring our guest in now. Callum Williams is a senior economics writer at The Economist. He joined in 2014 and covers global economic trends, including labor markets, political economy, and housing. He's a regular guest on global news outlets such as the BBC, Sky News, Al Jazeera, among many others. He's the author of a book called The Classical School. It's about the history of economic thought. Callum studied at Cambridge, Oxford, and Harvard. And most importantly for this episode, he led the research for the 2022 ranking, which ended up with Greece in the top spot. Callum, welcome to Altamar. Thanks for having me. So let, let's start with some technical questions and we'll get to Greece in a bit. 
how how do you rank economic winners these days? Well, I mean, you can choose lots of ways to do it. We uh, do this exercise uh, quite frequently where we try and look at it in a more rounded sense at which economies have done well and which economies have done badly. So the classic thing to do that most people will think of immediately is just look at the change in the size of the economy. So basically the change in GDP. But for all kinds of reasons, more and more people now think that that doesn't quite give a kind of full picture of exactly what's going on. So in this particular exercise, we took uh, a kind of essentially a broader look at uh, which economies have done well and which have done badly. So we do look at GDP uh, over the past year, but we also look at inflation, which is obviously, you know, a big deal, uh, not just in the US, but elsewhere. So basically how much inflation has there been? We also look at what we call inflation breadth, which is basically um, what share of goods and services are seeing fast price rises. Uh, and that kind of gives an indication of how long inflation is going to hang around. And then we look at two more things. One is share prices. Share prices obviously matter a lot to people because of their pensions and that kind of thing. So if they go up, that's 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 good. And then the final thing is uh, basically government debt, uh, because kind of all else equal, it's a good thing if government debt goes down and not such a good thing if government debt goes up. So if you kind of combine all these things together, the the very surprising result, which I confess I did not expect to see, was that Greece came out top. And there are lots of other European countries in the top of the list. Talk to us about some of the common denominators of that success. Well, I think uh, that's a good question. I think uh, what's really going on, or at least partly what's going on here, is that uh, a lot of these countries in Southern Europe had a very, very bad uh, lockdown. Uh, basically, their economies did extremely badly in 2020 and 2021. Uh, and that was partly because they had strict lockdowns. So Spain being really, you know, really one of the most extreme lockdowns in the world. Um, so that kind of hit the economy very, very hard compared with places like, say, the US. Um, but also a, a lot of these countries are, are very reliant on tourism, which obviously fell to close to zero in 2020 and for lots of 2021. So at the start of 2021, they were a long, long way behind the US, say, or Canada or Australia, New Zealand, Japan, they were a long, long way behind those countries in terms of their economic recovery. So there was, they had a lot of catch up to do. So part of what we find is that, you know, 2022 was the year in which they did catch up actually with, with the rest of the world. And that's why they come top of the ranking. I hear you on the tourism thing. One of my dear friends is a high-end tour operator in Spain and, you know, her, her business went from booming to absolutely zero in six months. I mean, she had to, she had to fire everybody. She had to leave her office. So I, it's, it, I, I heard it firsthand. Look, one of the things we really wanted to ask you was, I mean, the world has become a really confusing place to analyze. Inflation is high, but jobs are scarce. GDP is low and supply chains are tight. There, there's, there's a, there's a lot of discrepancies in the classical economic model that makes this difficult to analyze. And, and some problematic countries seem to be resilient to woes. Some resilient countries seem to have lots of woes. What's different today? What, what, what makes this world so hard to figure out? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I guess there's a couple of, there's a couple of things going on. One is a kind of boring answer, I suppose, which is that um, 
a lot of the like the data that economists typically use to analyze the economy is just less reliable now than it used to be. Um, so, for example, if you look at what happened in the US in the first half of this year, in the first quarter and second quarter of 2022, uh, the US economy actually shrank, GDP actually shrank. Now, in, in normal times, that would basically signal the US is in recession. But very few economists actually thought that was true. Uh, they, what they actually thought was that the GDP figures, there was something wrong with the GDP figures. And that's basically to do with like a lot of the weird stuff that happened during the pandemic. Uh, in particular, um, ha- essentially how you account for all the stimulus checks and stuff that were given out in 2021. So, um, so partly it has just become more difficult to look at what's going on because the data is less reliable. But I think also just like so many uh, very unprecedented things have happened, um, which means that kind of the rules of previous recessions perhaps don't apply. So stimulus checks is one of them. Um, you know, shutting, like essentially pressing off on an economy and then press it, turning it back on again. It's not actually something that's been done before. And so no one really knows how economies behave under those circumstances. We also at the same time have a kind of an end to the period of like very rapid global integration that happened in the 2000s and up to the 2010s with, you know, with globalization. So, so there's a lot essentially that's new and so that people don't kind of understand what's going on. Um, I mean, even now, if we look at what's going on globally, it seems possible that the global economy is kind of in recession or certainly growth has slowed a lot compared with 2021 and 2022, early 2022. Um, And what normally happens in that sort of situation is that unemployment starts to go up. People start to lose their jobs. But actually, um, in basically every country, unemployment is still super, 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 super low. And uh, firms seem much more reluctant uh, to to let people go than would be the case in a normal recession. So basically, everything is completely topsy-turvy, which makes it both difficult to understand, but as a journalist, quite interesting. You mentioned that the information itself is not always reliable. And I, I work as, as a business consultant, and I find that even like the indicators for political risk have changed in the past years. Are there new um, sets of measuring criteria in, that have emerged or, or just kind of fallen off the, uh, off the rankings in the past years? And then which ones are becoming, if so, which ones are becoming irrelevant and which ones are becoming more important? Um, so I think, I think probably the easiest answer is that I think it's fair to say that like official data is becoming less useful and unofficial data is becoming a bit more useful. So with official data like GDP, you, you have the problem I just described of the economy is just a bit weird at the moment. So GDP is a not, is a less reliable measure than it used to be. Another big problem you have in a lot of countries, especially the US, is that people are a lot less likely than they were, a lot less willing than they were to respond to official surveys. So basically the way that like the Bureau of Labor Statistics, for example, calculates the unemployment rate is to ask people and ask companies like what they're doing. Like how many people do you employ? Are you employed? Are you, you know, looking for a job or whatever? So it relies, all these figures actually rely on people responding to surveys. And for reasons that, I don't think people really totally understand. Um, People have become a lot less willing to respond to those surveys. And so they have become less reliable and also more volatile. 
So they jump around more than they used to because sample sizes are smaller than they should be. So what that means is that official data, generally speaking, is less useful than it used to be. On the other hand, you have um, the development of like these alternative sources of data, which um, don't rely on surveys. They rely on people just doing their day-to-day -day stuff. And uh, so they, they have two benefits. One is that people can't like opt out, essentially, unless they, you know, turn off their phone or like stop using Google. Um, and B, um, they are, they don't have any lags. So like, um, we know like straight away within a couple of days or maybe even a couple of hours, like what people are spending their credit cards on or what people are searching on Google or where people's iPhones are, are hitting transmission towers. And so what that means is that you've got this like massive explosion of all these like alternative sources of data, which actually give a pretty accurate, if treated carefully, pretty accurate and also very up-to-date measure of the economy. So I guess to summarize, you've had this move from like official to non-official data sources. That's one of the big legacies of the pandemic, I think. Okay, but then how, how do you compare the trends if it's not apples to apples? You have all these new sources of information, new criteria. How can you, you know, compare great Greece before and after if you're using different numbers? Uh, that's true. So, I mean, the way that you have to do it, I guess, is you have to sort of, cal you have to kind of calibrate uh, the official data by looking at the unofficial data. So, for example, back to the US point about early 2022, the official data said the US was in recession. However, it was very obvious that the US was not in recession based on all the other data sources. So, you'd be like, mm, okay, uh, GDP is giving me a signal, which is that the economy is slowing, correct, which is correct, I think. And the uh, private sector data, non-official data, also show the economy is slowing. So the direction of travel is the same. However, I'm not going to just rely entirely on what the um, what GDP numbers are saying. I'm going to use other data sources as well. So it's it's. Not, I guess the way to think about it is, um, certainly for me, I would rather be imprecisely correct than precisely wrong. So I would rather say. I, you know, I'd rather say I feel confident that the US economy is slowing rather than the economy contracted by 0.056251%. And, and so I, I think it's just about taking a different approach to data, really. It's, to be clear, it's not about abandoning the official data because it is still really useful. And it does, you know, it, I mean, it is definitely true that unemployment is very, very low in basically every rich country. And that, I know that that comes from official data. Like that's, I'm not saying it's useless by any stretch of the imagination. All it requires is just analysts to, to draw on a, on a bigger set of, you know, a bigger set of data than they might have done in the past. I mean, to be clear, so the way that recessions are, are like called in the US is that there's this committee of worthy economists, um, I think often in California, but I'm not sure, who decide the US is in recession and they essentially tell the government that the US is in recession. They have never relied just on GDP anyway. They've always taken a holistic approach. So it's not as if GDP was ever like a perfect measure. Um, it's just about using more data sources, essentially. 
But even with the changes already, I'm sure you found some surprises in working on this on this ranking beyond Greece, which is a kind of significant surprise. And we'll talk about that later. Were there some countries that underperformed in your in your head, like with the experience you had in the pre in the in the previous uh, rankings, and then which ones turned out to be um, overperforming? Um, so I, there, there were two. I guess there were two countries that were quite surprising. One was um, Germany which did kind of underperform relative to my expectations. You know, Germany has this, you know, reputation as being a very competent, steady country with like sensible politicians, a great manufacturing sector, German engineering, all that kind of stuff. Actually, in the past year, they haven't done so well. You know, that's that's really because energy prices have gone up a lot. Um, a, a kind of de-globalizing world is not is not good for Germany either. Um, and so, yeah, they, they kind of performed worse than I expected. I, I think I was surprised in the other direction by how the UK performed. I mean, certainly a kind of um, elite discourse in the UK at present is extremely gloomy. It's kind of, you know, sort of there's this feeling that everything is going wrong. Um, but, in, but actually the result from the from the from the work we did was that the UK, I mean, the UK wasn't near the top or anything, but I had kind of expected it to be at the bottom and it was kind of mid range. So, so yeah. So resilience, um, resiliency has been, is a, is a big word since COVID and, and how do you measure it? And then what countries are more resilient to all of these economic stressors? Mm, Good question. Um, Well, I suppose I think a lesson from COVID, or rather a lesson from the past three years, is that actually economies are more resilient to external shocks than people thought. So the two exa- the two big examples of this are COVID itself and then the energy price shock that Europe ha- experienced um, for a lot of last year. So when COVID struck in 2020, there were a lot of people a lot of very smart people who predicted that this was basically going to be another Great Depression. Um, stock markets were like not going to recover for for like literally decades, which is what happened after the Great Depression. Uh, unemployment was going to remain high for years and years and years. Um, loads of shops and and businesses were going to close and all that kind of stuff. Actually, basically none of that happened, and certainly in America. Uh, the economy recovered actually very, very quickly. And you didn't see the large-scale defaults, delinquencies, bankruptcies, shop closures that people had thought there would be. There were some, of course, but like the predictions were really apocalyptic and it was nowhere near that. So the second one is the uh, the energy price shock in in Europe in in 2022. So in the summer of 2022 in particular, uh, energy prices went up to really genuinely insane levels. And a lot of people back then were predicting that, you know, German industry is going to completely collapse. Uh, Europe's going to have to ration energy uh, use. We're going to have to have like a three-day week. Um, All this kind of stuff. Like It's going to be a gigantic recession. And then actually, so far at least, what's happened is that businesses have proven very flexible at dealing with high energy prices. So if you look at, say, for example, look at German industry, German industry today is consuming way, way, way less energy than it was a year ago, but it's producing about the same amount, like a bit less, but not like not a lot less. And so I think what we've discovered is that actually um, 
economies in general are more resilient to external shocks than we thought. As to the question of which countries in general are more resilient, I mean, I think, you know, it it, it, it really is to do with like how, um, how like diversified is your economy. So the US, for example, massive economy, massive market, has loads of different industries, tech, finance, manufacturing, industrial, has its own energy supply, all that kind of stuff. Maybe it's like not that surprising that the US rebounded really quickly in 2020 and 2021. Whereas back to back to our talk uh, conversation about Greece and Spain and Portugal and and so on, um, those countries are disproportionately reliant on tourism. And so when that went under, they, those countries were in real trouble. So I suppose it's really a question about how diversified your economy is. Callum, you you talked about a number of indicators. I think there were five indicators in the ranking. All of them were purely economic. So what what do you think would happen if we injected a political indicator into the ranking? Is is there a is there any objective correlation between democracy and prosperity? And and is it fair to analyze only economic indicators without taking into consideration what the political environment is is like? Mm, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, so the exercise was obviously a, an economic one. It, there are there are indicators that you could have that you could have put in, I suppose. I mean, there's, for example, there's stuff that's like what share of like um, in the opinion polls, what share of people would vote for, or say they would vote for like a, a, a populist party. That's like a common thing. So um, in Europe, for sure, um, populism became much more popular after like 2010. So I suppose you could look at at, at that. Um, my guess would be that um, in most countries, populism declined further in 2022 rather than going up. So um, I think that's true in Greece also actually. So um, I yeah, I think that's the one that kind of comes to mind. I'm trying to think what else. Things like general happiness, I suppose. I mean, what is definitely true in lots of countries, I think basically everywhere, to be honest, is that in 2022, uh, consumer confidence came down a lot. Like maybe you could call that a political thing. People basically became less happy in 2022, which was weird because I don't know if you all remember, but when like when the vaccines were approved or kind of not approved even, but when the vaccines were essentially discovered in late 2020, there was this sense for many months afterwards of kind of like a kind of techno optimism, essentially, where people were like, I can't believe we managed to get these life-saving vaccines in like six months. Uh, isn't this amazing? Which obviously it is. Doesn't this show the amazing ingenuity and potential of humans to like create amazing things if we put our minds to it? And so there was a lot of, a lot of articles around that time and a lot of conversation around that time about like how... The world was going to enter this era of just like incredible discovery and innovation and stuff and how everyone was going to be super happy. And in practice, like in 2022, people seem like more angry and sadder about the world than ever before. We can speculate about why that might be. It's quite interesting to think about why that might be. But I mean, so, I, so in that sense, I think politically, probably most countries maybe in a sense went backwards because people got sadder. But I don't, I don't, I haven't really thought about that question a lot, so I don't have a great answer. So let's finally get to Greece. 
So a decade ago, the country was the basket case of Europe. I remember that Grexit came before Brexit um, and, and needed multiple bailouts. What has changed about Greece and, and what important policies created this change or, you know, internal factors? Uh, we know that the government pulled the country in a successful economic direction. Now the, the question is, can he sustain it? It wasn't like Greece is by far and away the best country in the world. It, it's like it's very, very nearly second or indeed very nearly third. So I, I'm afraid I don't really have a great answer to that question. Um, What was the, the, the good number that that took him to took Greece to the top in terms of just of numbers, not of what indicator made it overperform or perform that way? Uh, well, there were, I think there were probably two in particular One was uh, its stock market did okay. I mean, I think that's, you know, essentially, the, so the countries that had a good stock market in 2022 are the countries that generally have lots of boring firms in them. So America's stock market did really badly. And America's stock market has like Google, Apple, like all those companies, Meta, all that, all those, all those like really fancy innovative companies, their share prices got massively hit in 2022. And then you have then you have countries like the UK and Greece and a couple of others. Essentially, companies that list in those countries tend to be quite boring. They'd be like shipping companies or like old style banks or mining companies. Like these are not sexy, exciting companies that like investors get really excited about. But um, when the economy is slowing. Uh, those those kind of companies tend to relatively outperform. So I think Greece benefited from that to a degree. I guess I mean I guess the other thing is they they their inflation problem wasn't as bad as other countries. Um, to, to be honest, that that could well be because uh, unemployment is still pretty high in Greece, and so you didn't have this you know the extent of the kind of um, like a big driver of inflation in say the US, in the US was like a super 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 tight labor market where wages were being bid up again and again and again. Uh, you didn't really have that in Greece or in Spain or in France or, or in Italy. So uh, in a sense, they, they, their lower inflation in 2022 kind of partly reflects the fact that their economy, when all is said and done, is actually still weaker than the US's. It had a good year, it had a good year relative to normal years. But um, it's still in, you know, it still has very high debt and it's still got very high unemployment, that kind of thing. So, Callum, we're running out of time. So I want to ask you one last question, which is about the perception, right? Because your list, The Economist list, um, is obviously very widely read and, and quite important for, for these countries and these governments. So, you know, Greece has received, obviously, this was a big bump for them. They also were included in some other lists, also economist lists, the democracy index and the, envi the environmental index. And so how do you measure the perception that comes after being included on this list? So how important is it for uh, specifically for Greece, which has had, you know, some years, many years of economic and political struggles? How important is it for that government to be included so notably on this list? That's a good question. I don't know the answer. I, um, I mean, I guess these things do matter a bit. I mean, it probably, uh, you know, may, maybe at the margin, people who had uh, written off Greece before might now look at it again. I haven't seen any like studies or anything on this. I mean, I do know, for example, that like 
when countries are allowed to join the OECD, which is like a, essentially a group of like rich countries based in Paris, um, when that when they're allowed to join, their you know government borrowing costs do go down because investors perceive that country as more reliable. So I guess these things do do matter to a degree. I mean, I wouldn't say that coming top of an economist ranking is comparable to joining the OECD, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, hopefully it helps a bit. I mean, it would be nice to see Greece doing well for a change. All right, Callum, thank you so much for joining us on Altamar. Thank you. Thea, Peter, I'm struck by how hard it is to do rankings. And it's, it's obviously uh, so many new indicators, uh, so many intangible, very subjective indicators like happiness um, and, and trust. It's, it seems like uh, these rankings have gone soft in terms of uh, measuring only the hard, the hard variables. But it's also good to add that sensitivity to um, to the to the rankings. Two things stuck, struck out. One is uh, the group of kind of economists deciding inflation, which is very much a symbol of how obviously looking at the numbers is important, but criteria is also. And and then the the other is. Uh, Greece coming up first in the economist ranking when, uh, you know, even the Greeks are now a bit more concerned about their economic future. So it's, it's, a, it's a shifting practice that I think is going to yield um, a lot of unlikely or surprising results. I, I look forward to see how they correct for that and especially the trends. I, I really like this interview because I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about how um, countries sort of are ranked and how what the what the difficulties are. And I have to tell you that my my conclusion is much like yours, but I'm going to say it blunter. I just wonder if rankings are bullshit. You, you know, I, it just seems to seems to me that what Callum was saying is that it was a fluke. You know, uh, we're still it's a weak economy. It's an indebted economy it's and yet it just happened because the numbers were right this year to come out on top but it really doesn't say anything about greece nor its relative position as a strong economy in the world and so i just wonder if if this stuff is just not useful anymore i mean i think uh, you know maybe not a fluke but i think that rankings will have to change i mean the the measurements of what is good and what is bad and what is successful and what is not, I think is changing. And, and Callum talked a lot about that with, you know, how we measure the economy and how we are going to have to include other ways of measuring, right? Like open source intelligence, which for our listeners who haven't listened to the previous episode, you should definitely check it out on open source intelligence, because I think this is, it's much more uh, broader than just for intelligence agencies. I mean, we can use it for measuring our economies as well. So with that, we are running out of time. Um, you can listen to Altamar wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, which helps us a lot. Sign up for a biweekly free newsletter for analysis of global trends other than just our biweekly podcasts. And we will see you next time on Altamar.